Emotions with Robots, the podcast for news and views on robotics. Hello and welcome to episode 178 of the Robots Podcast. My name is Jana and today we shall learn how robots might in future be able to recognize human emotion from speech. Christina Brester from the Siberian State Aerospace University in Russia is one of the scientists looking into speech-based emotion recognition. Together with a group of German researchers, she worked on a new system that can identify a speaker's emotional state through their speech. Their new technique drastically increases the accuracy of emotion recognition performance compared to older systems. She spoke to our interviewer Audro about the team's work, which was presented at the Language Resources and Evaluation Conference last year. Hi, welcome to Robots Podcast. Hello. Can you introduce yourself? My name is Kristina Brester. I'm from Russia, from Siberian State Aerospace University. Can you tell me a bit about the motivation and background behind your research? We collaborated with German scientists during the previous year, and they offered to investigate this sphere of speech-based recognition of speakers, and there are some open questions related to um, speaker identification, uh, speaker gender identification, and emotion recognition. And I thought it was one of the most interesting things for me. Therefore, I decided to, to learn more about this question. Now, can you tell me the big picture of your research, kind of what you're doing? Well, from my point of view, I'm trying to uh, to train robots to to understand people, to recognize our emotions. Uh, we are also trying to to show them how to understand when it's necessary to regret us or um, when it's necessary to say us, maybe, don't worry, it's okay, don't be so shy, something like that. We have speech signals and we transform it into the form which is appropriate for machines. And based on this data, they are trying to understand our emotions. It's like numerical data, and they classify them into different um, emotions, like happiness or sadness, maybe. It depends on sample. Now, you're working with several collaborators on this project. Can you tell me a bit about the team? and where they're from and what their role is? Previous year, I collaborated with uh, German scientists uh, from Ulm University. Uh, this is a small city near Munich, and some of them are also from Russian. From Russia, they um, graduated from our university, but now they're living in Germany. And uh, some of them, they're native German people, and uh, they are like managers of this project, and I'm 
try to develop programs and to realize these algorithms and approaches with my with my own skills and computer. Now, can you tell me a bit about the data used for your samples? Where did you get it and what was it? Well, scientists from this uh, university, I mean, collaborate with the University of Amsterdam. They uh, developed special program systems to analyze speech signals. And using these program systems, we can extract features uh, I mean, acoustic characteristics from speech signal and uh, use them to to classify different speech records. It's like our first part of emotion recognition process. We just get we just get this speech signal and we uh, use this um, program system and we get a set of numerical data. And then I apply my algorithmic methods. So you're starting with audio data and you translate it into a bunch of numerical data? Yes, certainly. For example, the first database that I used is um, called Vera Am Mittag. Uh, this database was constructed using the popular German talk show, I mean, speech signals uh, were taken from this talk show. And then using this program system that was mentioned, we get numerical data and numerical features, as I usually said, numerical attributes, uh, which, which characterize some uh, acoustic characteristics, for example, intensity or pitch. All right. Now I'd like to talk a little bit about the algorithm. Uh, and so how you, you, you take acoustic speech signals and run it through an evolutionary multi-objective genetic algorithm. And I'd like to break that down a little further. Can you explain what you mean by multi-objective? Well, first, I think it's necessary to understand why we decided to use evolutionary algorithms. I mean, in genetic one, because um, because of its simplicity, it's the main advantage, and because of simplicity of representation, the uh, speech signal, the set of all this data, you can just get the binary string. It's like a set of uh, zeros and ones, uh, which string. Uh, codes uh, this all these features. Uh, zero means irrelevant feature and unit means relevant one. And while this algorithm uh, works, uh, it operates with the set of these binary strings. And this set uh, is usually called population. And as a result, we get the most appropriate set of binary strings and uh, in the end we should get just one of them based on some um, criteria but why we decided to use multi-objective algorithm it's necessary to to take into consideration two criteria 
simultaneously. The relative classification accuracy on the one hand to get more accurate results as it possible and to reduce the dimensionality of data of database because all this uh, database are too huge and therefore to process them it's necessary to spend lots of time and some of these attributes may correlate with each other or be measured with mistakes i mean they might be noisy and therefore we have to extract the most informative ones and due to that we can improve the performance of involved of involved classification models therefore we use multi-objective model to reduce the database and to improve the classification accuracy. So how do you use the genetic algorithm with the multi-objective method to find the features that you're interested in looking at? Generally, we use two algorithmic schemes, but I would like to spare you the, de- the details, and therefore I would like to um, describe the one of these schemes from my point of view, it's more interesting. So you introduce two criteria. The first one is the relative classification accuracy. And the second one is the number of features uh, in this binary string. In other words, it's the number of units in this binary string uh, that is that codes your set of features. And every generation... I mean, while your population is uh, looking for the best solutions uh, in the search space, you have to involve classifiers to estimate the quality of this binary string. You apply a classification model and estimate the accuracy of classification. And so you get some um, characteristics of this of each binary string. And according to uh, the values of this criteria, you choose the best one. Um, this um, criteria, uh, usually they are called fitness functions of this criteria. And based on this fitness values, you may choose uh, the most appropriate solutions. So it works similar to biological evolution, but with a set of parameters that you're looking at. So you're looking which parameters are the most relevant for identification and classification of whatever audio sample you have, correct? Uh, yes, you're right. And then so it evolves over time, over iterations, and develops something that is more close and more optimal for identifying different characteristics. Yes. Certainly you estimate uh, relevant classification accuracy. You know that uh, the best solution uh, has zero classification error and therefore you understand whether this solution is okay or whether it is bad and therefore you choose the most appropriate one. Can you sum up everything of what we have been talking about regarding the algorithm into kind of a full process? Um, Before uh, algorithm starts we have just uh, lots of numerical data. Then we introduce some binary strings called population, and then we use genetic algorithm uh, 
that can evolve as a result we have uh, a population of uh, good binary strings in terms of classification process in terms of classification models and so we can choose one of these strings and uh, use further to classify our emotions in framework of certain database because it's necessary to find informative features um, in the framework of certain data because you know they may uh, vary from one language to another one and different acoustic characteristics might be important in different languages. This research has been done with English and German languages, correct? Yes, but we had some experiments with uh, databases in Japanese language. It was also very... very, I don't know, (laughs) successful, as I think, and interesting also. So what differences do you find between the languages in terms of what your system outputs for a binary classification string? It was wonderful because we had the same results. Maybe because we didn't operate with vocabulary of the language we just got numerical data characteristics and they were relevant maybe uh, due to this reason we got the same results i mean um, the performance of our approach uh, was good in both experiments so how does this method compare to existing research Well, generally speaking, there are not so much scientists who who try to to develop some methods to recognize human emotions automatically and therefore we compared our method with some standard procedures uh, that are used for feature selection. It was principal component analysis, and we also compared multi-objective genetic algorithm with standard conventional genetic algorithm that operates with only one criteria. And as a result, I may conclude that our proposal was um, rather good and it works better that, than our algorithms that were And what kind of results have you gotten from your algorithm or from your approach? First, I would like to pinpoint that it's possible to to reduce the dimensionality of huge databases um, and to improve the classification accuracy simultaneously, even though we we omit information uh, and on the one hand, it seems that we lose some data, some information, but in fact, it's necessary to do because in that case, we use only necessary data, only relevant features. After uh, database reduction, we have short uh, the set of data and we can process it quickly. 
All right, so I want to talk a bit about the implications of this research and how it can be used in robotics. You mentioned a robot feeling happy or sad or telling you encouraging words. Uh, what else do you think? Well, certainly we can use these procedures to improve intelligent dialect systems and to, uh, to make our conversation with machines more, uh, more vivid, more lively, because while communicating with artificial systems, we are deprived of facial expressions and vivid gestures of our opponents. And so I think it's a great opportunity to, um, to improve robots and to show them how, how people may understand your, um, our opponents and to regret them or help them when it's necessary. We may back home from after the hard work day, no robot uh, meets you and ask about your um, deals and maybe when it understands uh, the fact that you are uh, so sad or maybe even upset, uh, it says to you, oh, don't worry, everything will be okay, let's Oh, let's start to communicate with me or play with me and something like that, you know. Uh, what advice do you have for the beginning researcher based on your experience? Well, I think it's necessary to first to collaborate with uh, lots of scientists and be interested in this sphere that that you're going to deal with. And it's necessary to give information at different conferences because your methods um, have to be actual. And I think you have to develop a will. First, you have uh, to learn the sphere and only... And based on these achieved results, you have to improve them and to offer your own methods and proposals. And wrapping up, what do you think is the future of robotics? Well, I think robotics is our future. <laughs> I mean the future of humanity, but I may express my opinion about about communicating robots and uh, people because I dealt with uh, emotion recognition process. And from um, this point of view, I think um, there are many, many uh, questions and potentials to improve uh, human-machine interfaces. And so due to these algorithms, due to these methodologies, we can be closer to robots and to live them, with them together in our daily routine. And I think it will be interesting to communicate with our artificial systems because in most cases, even people don't understand each other. But we can, I hope we can train, we can create some robots that will be good at understanding people.
And that's the end of today's episode. If you would like to learn more about speech recognition or other robot-related topics, why not visit our website at robotspodcast.com, where you'll find all our past episodes. And for the latest news and developments in the world of robotics, have a look at robohub.org. Our next episode will air in two weeks' time. Until then, goodbye. Emotions with Robots, the podcast for news and views on robotics.